Well, this, uh, this sermon series has been about uh, life in the dark and life in the light. And this specific sermon is about truth and lies. And really what, what this, uh, with these verses that Ross read for us is asking the question, what does the authentic Christian life look like? What does it look like? Well, we care a lot about authenticity, mostly because we're starved for it. We search for it, we treasure it. If I go to a restaurant, I don't want it to feel not authentic. I want it to feel authentic. I don't say, I should go to a soulless chain today. I go, I should go to something that's authentic. That's what we want. There's something about it that we like. Also, I want my friends to be authentic. I want them to be honest with me. I want them to actually care about me, actually do the thing that they say. See, authenticity gives meaning to our lives. And as we said, uh, the first message in 1 John a few weeks back, um, we might have a lot of freedom in the West, we have a lot of time, and even the poorest of us have money to do things that we want to do. Um, we're all, we have a lot of freedom to be able to do what we're doing here, to worship God the way we want to. Um, but in the West, we're a bit low on community and we're a bit low on meaning. What we need to do is sacrifice some of that freedom for community and meaning. Now, one reason I think that we search for authenticity is because I think that we know often that we actually aren't authentic. We really like it, but we know there's a lack within us. We don't always live the way we want to. We see a cause we should support and we like it on Facebook and we talk to our friends about it, but we don't really do much about it. And though we're busy and you know, we can't literally get involved with every single cause we see, I think the real problem there is we just don't actually really care. I think most people I know would agree that we should all help out with the poor. And how do we do that? Like, we tell our friends about it. Um, surely there's something more to living authentic lives. I just don't think we really care. As a society, we like to think that we're progressive, that we're advanced, but that's not how people who identify as LGBTQ often experience it. So in our supposedly liberal progressive society, one in five LGBT people have experienced a hate crime because of their sexual orientation or gender identity in the last year. 20% of people in the last year have experienced that. Half of, people, half of students in schools who identify as LGBT hear homophobic slurs frequently or often at school and nearly half of them are being bullied at, at the moment. 24% of homeless young people identify as LGBTQ, which is an insane amount, because it's, it's way larger than the, the, uh, the non-homeless population. And 77% of those people who are homeless and identify as LGBTQ say the main reason why they ended up homeless was because they came out to their family. That was the main factor. So these are people who feel different for a very young age, often don't believe that they can take that to their own parents. I mean, imagine what that loneliness must be like. And if they do, if they do risk it, many don't experience love. Some get thrown out and end up homeless. The people who should give them the most comfort and love in their lives don't. So this leads to homelessness, it leads to self-harm, it can lead to suicide. And this is all going on in our so-called liberal progressive culture. We are not authentic. We are not who we say we are. We say one thing, but in reality and practice is different. We have this image of what we want to be or even what we think we are. You know, we think, well, we're caring humans, you know, we're loving humans, we're compassionate, but we rarely live up to it because we wildly overestimate all the good we do and wildly underestimate all the bad we do. None of us are really authentic. All of us here are living in lies, mostly of our own making. So the question for all of us today is where do we want to go? Given the fact that we are, we are lacking this authenticity, what kind of humans do we want to be? Do we want to be on the trajectory towards truth and light, or do we want to be on the trajectory towards lies and the dark? And for a Christian, just knowing about Jesus isn't enough. 
knowing the right words to say isn't enough, showing up on Sundays or whatever the things that you're supposed to do, that's not enough. That much can be gleaned from minimal effort and just a quick glance at Wikipedia. But our lives must be shaped by Jesus and his words to us. That means tomorrow morning. That means those slow afternoons, those tired nights. If we know the right things and say the right things but don't live it out, we're hypocrites. And if we as a church, if we teach people what to believe and what to say but not how to live, we're not a community of light. We're a hypocrite factory. That's not authentic. We want to live in the truth. Now, rarely does someone say, I think I'm living a lie. And I'm okay with it. Rarely do we think we're in that. Um, but so, so how can we know for sure? Well, for anyone here, we can't be authentic by ourselves. John is going to give us some things that shows kind of where we don't match up. Um, but all of us are in that same boat. We can't do it by ourselves. We've tried, we've failed, we know it doesn't work. We might be able to handle maybe one or two areas, and that's like the areas that we'll talk about with everybody, but we just aren't capable to have all of life live out how we, ought it, how we want it to be. And this is why we need Jesus. And all of us, People who follow Jesus and those who don't yet, we all need Jesus to rescue us from our own hypocrisy and give us the gift of authenticity. To be able to actually practice what we say, to actually practice what we believe. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of person that Jesus is making us into. So John is writing to us, describing what living in the truth looks like. Uh, he also describes what living a lie looks like. And he gives us a test for us to gather our own evidence about our life, to see where are the parts in our life where we are in the light, where are the parts in our life that are in the dark that need to be brought into the light. So the way we're going to look at this is first two trajectories, two visions, what it looks like to live in the truth, what it looks like to live in the, in, uh, in the lie. And then the third thing we'll look at is the path towards living in the truth. So the first thing is living in the truth. What does that look like? Uh, John likes to use metaphors a lot. He uses lots of metaphors. Truth and light are kind of synonymous in his metaphor world. They're interchangeable. And what John is going to do is basically set the vision of what living in the truth looks like. So living in the truth means, first, that our words and actions connect. In verse 9 and 10, if anyone claims to be in the light but hates his brother and sister, is actually not in the light, they're in the darkness. So anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. So if we claim to live in the light, that also means we love our fellow brothers and sisters. Our words and actions resemble each other. Of course, this is something we all want to be. We all want to have integrity. We want to be authentic and live in the truth in this way. And that means we love each other. That sounds great. Also, it feels a little bit too simple. Like, surely it's a bigger formula than that. It's easy to say, though, of course, it's actually, in reality, it's difficult to do. To truly love each other like a family, as brothers and sisters, the way John is talking, is hard. I mean, probably most people's physical families are like, you know, there's dysfunction there, right? We all have dysfunction in our families. Well, we as the church have the opportunity to live as God intended, to putting others before ourselves, going out of our way for others. And since our family isn't determined by blood, it's also inclusive. It's always adopting others into it. There's always room for more, and when new people become part of our family, we as the existing church get to make room for them. So being family to others, I think, as I was thinking through this, preparing the sermon and just looking at how simple it is and also like how difficult and crazy it is, I wonder if like being family to other people is one of the most radical things we can do in this culture. I, I don't know if there is a more radical way to interact with people who by themselves are going to be isolated and self-obsessed than to be the family towards other people who don't have that kind of life. And that's what we get to be as a church. Also, uh, the way John is talking about here, 
is, it says uh, in verse 10, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. Uh, this is like an ongoing action, like abides in the light, like makes their kind of house in the light. It's part of our natural rhythms. It's part of who we are. It's not just something we do on a Sunday and then kind of go back to whatever kind of life we had before. It's an all of life kind of living. So our words and actions connect. Uh, and also, uh, living in the uh, life in the light means we do not stumble. Verse 10 at the end of it, there's nothing in them to make them stumble. People who are loving their brother and sister and therefore in the light. Now living in the truth equated with living in the light, for those who live here, there's nothing to make them stumble. Now when someone stumbles, it's normally because of something outside of yourself, like a crack in the pavement or a stick or something in the way. But here John's pointing to something inward. He says there's nothing in them to make them stumble. I find really interesting. So John is basically saying when we stumble, which is John's way of saying making mistakes, living the way we ought not to live, taking missteps, getting away from the path of following Jesus, you know, generally what we're often concerned is all the things that are outside of us, all the circumstances, like is Colin having a good day? Oh, that means I'm going to be in a good mood. Or did I get a good night's sleep? That means I'm going to be in a good mood. Or you know, is this work colleague or this kind of thing? Those are all external things. But what John is saying here that the real problem is actually within us. If we are given good or bad circumstances, regardless of whatever's going on there, stumbling has to do with what's going on inside. Those who are in the light will not stumble. Not because their circumstances are good necessarily, although obviously that's helpful, but because Jesus has freed them from being beheld to their circumstances. We don't want to be slaves to what's going on outside of the world. We can actually live in the light and the world can be good or bad. Now, normally, if good things are happening to me, I'm doing good. If bad things are happening to me, I'm not doing good. But that just chains us to our circumstances. And John says, basically says there's a freedom here. Living in the light means you don't, you don't have to stumble. People who are not stumbling might be crushed. They might have a hard go. They might feel like they want to give up. But they will not stumble. And this is what living in the truth looks like. Now, that sounds good. Who wouldn't want to be those things? I want to live in the truth. Why would anyone want to choose to live any other way? Well, here's what we think you know, life looks like. Over time, I'm just going to grow as a human. I'm going to get better, and I'm going to be more generous, and I'm, going to, you know, I'm religious, so I'm going to go to church, or I'm going to serve, or I'm going to lead a, life, a missional community, or whatever. But really, this is what our lives look like. It's a complete mess of lines going all over the place. And it's like, are we going backwards or forwards? Are we going down? I don't even know. Oh, there's that really good moment here. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And then we're like all the way down backwards. Um, this is what life has really looked like. This is life. This is a mess of lines. And sometimes it's hard to tell where we're at, especially in the moment. But even in the mess, there's a trend. And I think that's what the Christian life looks like. John is very honest. Everyone sins. Everyone needs to confess. And he's honest with those who, who bring our confessions to Jesus, as Ross prayed earlier. Um, Jesus forgives us. So there is a trajectory towards it. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It means that there's a, a, a destination we're going to. The honor of uh, being a minister, especially in a smaller church, is getting to hear and know your stories, especially going through this membership process. It's been amazing to be able to get to hear more of your guys' stories. Um, now, I know like, this kind of life isn't easy. And some of you have more difficult circumstances than others. And we might all have like different areas that are different or that are difficult at different times. But let me just say, like, this is not an easier way to live. Christianity is not an easier way to live. It's much more difficult than any other way to live. 
It's better, yes, by far, without a doubt. There's no question with that. But it's more difficult because living in the truth, the way we just talked about, as amazing as that sounds, actually living in the truth is a protest against the way the world is organized. It's, again, it's a protest against the backwards order of this world. It's a rebellion, it's a revolution. And protests, rebellions, and revolutions, those are easy ways to live. You don't seek comfort first in a protest. You grab a picket sign and maybe get like sprayed down with a fire hose or something. But worlds that are broken, orders that are broken, need those kind of rebellions, need those kind of protests. This world needs life and the light. So if life and the light is a more difficult but better way to live, let's look at an easier way to live, which is um, living a lie, another vision that, that John sets for us. So this is like the anti-vision for our life, the uh, um, kind of like the, the evil superhero in another dimension, kind of this is, you know, this is another possible way to live. What does living a lie look like? Now remember uh, John's metaphors, living a lie, living in the dark, those are going to be kind of synonymous. And so what we find is a bit of the opposite. So in verse 9, we find words or action and actions are disconnected. In contrast to living in the truth, living a lie is not authentic. It's hypocrisy. Saying you live in the light, that you hate your brother and sister, that's just not a way to live. Now, hang on. Hate? That's a, that's a bit strong, right? I don't know if I really like truly hate anybody. I mean, maybe a few people every now and then, but not like all the time. I may dislike some people. But John, as he does, uh, I mean, light and dark, he, he's basically drawing a stark dividing line between those who are in the light and those who aren't. So when we come into conflict with each other, when differing personalities clash, when decisions or plans are made and you feel left out, there will be an opportunity to hate in our church. I'm sure there's been many of those opportunities thus far, especially against me, I'm sure. <laughs> but if we continue in that hate, if we let that embitter us, then we're living a lie. If we stay in that way, we're living a lie. What trajectory are we on? Having our words and actions disconnected is a bit like going on a blind date when the person describes himself as strong, tall, dark, and handsome, and then I'm the one sitting there at the table, like, uh, that, and just walk out before I can even, I'm like holding the flower or whatever. There's a disconnect there. It's the same thing with our lives. How about uh, verse 11? So um, there's a lot of things going on here in verse 11. Let me just read it. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness, walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So unlike living in the light where we don't stumble, those who live in the dark sounds like would be prone to stumbling. So if we hate our brother and sister, if we're living a lie, it's like walking around in the darkness, hopeless, aimless. And blinded, if you're in the dark and you're blinded by the dark, surely you will stumble. It's just a recipe for stumbling. Blinded by the darkness we choose to live in, those who live a lie are stuck wandering, not knowing where they're going, unlike those who live in the light. And the last one for the darkness is that words aren't enough. In verse 4, John says, Whoever says, I know him, which is a know God, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. So we can say a whole lot of things. We can post a whole lot of things online. Words are not enough. We can't just get the words right. We can't just regurgitate biblical truths. It's good to know biblical truths, but there's more to the Christian life than that. We can't just sing the songs that we sing. We must also follow through with our lives. So here's two big visions for, for our lives here. Living in the truth 
and living a lie. Life in the light, life in the dark. Now nobody signs up to be a hypocrite. You don't wake up in the morning. How can I be more hypocritical today than I was yesterday? But it is all what we drift towards if we're not we're actively working against it. We might have good intentions when we wake up in the morning to live in the truth, but by the time evening comes, we're just like, done, I'm done with it, I'm tired. Um, I'm happy living a lie because I just need something easy in my life. And I get it, I understand. I mean, hypocrisy must, if not always, probably 99.9% .9 of the time, come from a drift, a slight misalignment. That's why it's important to know what trajectory we're on and what parts need to be realigned with the truth. If you're one degree off, that's okay for one day, two days, five years, you end up on a completely different destination. There's a reason we spend a good amount of time focusing on confession during a worship gathering because we know we're all drifting. It's not like, oh, I wonder, I'm writing the sermon, I wonder who might be drifting in our church. Like everybody, I am, we all are, we all are, all the time. So how do we tell where we are? Well, if you believe it's important to know what trajectory we're a part of, how do we do that? Uh, this is what we're gonna look to next, what, how John writes here in, in chapter two. We're gonna look at how we can tell which path we're on, what vision we're a part of. And John gives us evidence. He tells us what life in the light looks like. And also in this evidence, it's not just kind of a taking inventory to see where we are. He teaches us kind of how to get on the path that we need to be on, how to continue on the path in the light. So we have the big vision, the big anti-vision, and now uh, what's the path of living in the truth? Well, where we are in the light, where are we? as we live a lie. The first uh, thing John says in uh, verse six, we must, whoever claims to live in the light in him must live as Jesus did. We must live like Christ. There's, it's not like, this is a good idea if you wanna live in the, here's one idea of how to do it. Think about living like Christ. He's, as John is very kind of blatant with his words, must live as Jesus did. Of course, this really shouldn't be that surprising because we say we follow Jesus. It's what it means to be a Christian. We're in his footsteps. Our lives ought to conform to that. But again, John is writing simply. That doesn't mean it's easy. What does it mean to live like Christ? For John here in these verses, to love God and to love others. Loving God means obeying him. That's how we know him in verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And basically, we can be assured that we know who God is if we keep his commands. And notice there's no kind of like mystical experience here. There's no kind of hidden truth. This isn't some kind of insane worship experience. It's simple. It's obeying God's commands. That means knowing God doesn't always feel like what we think knowing God ought to be like. It's basic. And it's not often completely amazing 100% of the time. It's a struggle often, a fight. And maybe one reason that we're drawn to more experiential methods of knowing who God is is because what's plain and obvious isn't easy. We can't rely on ourselves to do that. But if I can get some kind of amazing worship experience once or twice in my life, maybe that'll forego the fact that I actually have to live out the way that John is talking about here. We should know God and God has told us what that means. It means obeying him. So words are not enough, we looked at that earlier, but also knowledge by itself isn't enough. We've come to, we, we can be assured that we know who God is, not first if we uh, know the Bible really well, but if we know the, if, if what we know of the Bible, if we put it into practice. Keeping commands means action. To keep a command doesn't mean to just to know it or to talk about it, it means to do it. And maybe one way of um, thinking through what it means to be obedient could be the head, heart, and hands model. I don't know if you've seen this before. So the head is basically like knowledge, like actually knowing about the word. We can't 
follow through with actions if we don't know what God has said. So it's important for us to know what God has told us in the Bible. Um, and we also need a desire to obey. We need big hearts to be able to, to obey God. But without following through, we really aren't obedient. So we need active hands as well. We need head for God, a heart for God, but hands that might be able to follow through. Now this might be and probably should be overwhelming because do you know how many commands there are in scripture? Oh, let's just obey God. Okay, good. See you guys, try that out. How's that gonna work? Monday you will be completely destroyed if not like an hour from now, I know I will be. Do you know all the things that our hearts are supposed to care about? We don't care about those things. It's literally impossible to do everything all the time. And we don't need to because we aren't called to always be obeying every single command all the time. We can't always be giving to the poor all the time because at the very least you need to sleep, at the very least you need to work, at the very least you need to eat food. How are you giving to the poor when you're sleeping? You know, it just it doesn't work. We don't have to, all the commands, though we uh, need to be obedient to them, doesn't mean we're going to be fulfilling them every single moment of our day. But chances are, we can probably all grow in the small areas that we know of where to be obedient. Today and tomorrow, the next day, surely there are small areas in our life where we can take just another step in that kind of mess of trajectory. There's also something interesting that John says here in, that, in verse 5, because it might be like, ah, oh, is a Christian life just about, as Ross said, is it just about doing good? Like doing good, doing good, doing good, just giving yourself, giving yourself, giving yourself? Well, verse 5 said, if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. It's not just a giving. You get the completed love of God in you through what you participate in, through how you're obedient. God's love is fulfilled in us. So if we love God by obeying Him, one of the byproducts is that His love is fulfilled in us. It's not a give and give only. We receive, and often we receive far more in return. So we have to love God. We also uh, have to love others because we must live as Jesus did. How did Jesus live? Well, He was compassionate. He cared for those who nobody would care for. There was nobody more inclusive on this earth and ever will be than Jesus. And John has this focus, and that's why he zeroes in on us being a family to each other. It's important that we love our brothers brothers and sisters. It's important that we see fellow believers as our brothers, as our sisters. And not just in a words, but actually in how we live our lives. And this is one reason why at Redeemer we have missional communities, because we need others to keep us on track. Otherwise we drift. If this is just a command that we hear once on Sunday, but aren't giving some kind of structure of how to live it out during the, during the week, we're just not going to do it. We can't do this alone. And John is assuming this. Every time he writes you in here, it's plural. He's not saying you individually must figure this out. It's like you as the church together must be a part of this. Every you is plural. He doesn't write friend. He writes friends in verse 7. Now, we can't, nobody really can be a family to 20 people, even for our small-sized church. It's just too much. A 20-person family, I've never even heard of that, like, I don't know, did that probably happen in like the 1700s or something when people had like loads of kids? I don't even know. But we can really actually live out what John is telling us in our missional communities or even in our core groups of people. Anyone who sees a brother or sister in the darkness and doesn't help, that's not loving. So let's lovingly speak the truths of the gospel to each other. And when we see someone in the dark in a part of their lives, have the boldness that comes from God to lovingly speak into that. Also, if someone is speaking the truths of the word into your life, we ought to be receptive. <coughs> Generally, we're not because we don't like people telling us what to do. Our first, if you're like me, your first instinct is to reject what people are saying and then find reasons and why they're wrong. 
but living in the truth is the best place for us to be as humans. And it's our collective job as God's family to help each other. Can I say it again? We can't do this alone. <laughs> I'll just repeat myself over and over because John does. We're also called to be family, and this kind of family, to others who don't know Jesus yet. To not expect people to come to a church service, although if they do, that's great, but also to bring the church to them. So we must live like Christ by loving God and loving others. And this is also the answer Jesus gave when people asked him, what's the most important commandment? He said, love God, love others. Everything else is built on that. So we had two visions, two trajectories, how to know where you are because nobody here is perfect all of us are living lies and parts of us are in the light parts of us are in the dark what are we going to do about that well here's one way to know where we're at where is the path you're on and what are the rabbit trails where is the destination you're going to and what are the kind of times when you get off the track is the path you're on does it look like living in the truth there's going to be rabbit trails we'll chase there'll be deviations from the road sometimes take a turn here or a turn there and that's why i use the word trajectory because what's the overall character like what's the overall destination. Is coming to a Sunday service a deviation from your normal path? You want to probably want to realign that to be part of your normal path. And not coming on Sunday, that would be a deviation. Is loving God or loving others generally what you're a part of? Of course, perfection is not the goal. It's the trajectory. What's the character? In that mess of that graph, where is the trend? I've only driven a boat a couple times in my life. I get this maybe like completely wrong for people who else but you've driven a boat before, so you can correct me later. If you're driving a boat and you have the cool steering wheel and uh, you are going towards a destination, the few times that I've done it, the person who was telling me where to drive said, keep the compass on like this degrees, like 118 degrees or something like that, I don't know. Um, and you, you're, you're on waves, so you're going left, you're going right, and you're kind of like going all around, and maybe there's like boats or people you have to like go around, but you're always trying to keep the compass in one kind of direction. You might deviate a little bit, but you're going towards the one thing. So what is our trajectory? Maybe just a, some specific applications for us as a church. Number one is a love for God means a love for his word. Sometimes it's a delight. Other times it's a duty. We can be honest and say, I don't enjoy reading the Bible all the time. That's okay. You don't have to. God never said you're going to always enjoy it. But we should be involved in it. It's not supposed to be some kind of mountaintop experience every time you open up the Bible. And it looks different at different stages. I mean, reading, trying to get time in to read now with a three-year-old, it can be hard. It doesn't always work. It can be frustrating. And sometimes he just wants us to read the Bible to him as he's playing. And I'm frustrated by that. I just want to read it. That's when I you know, pick something really boring and try and trail off and hope he doesn't realize. Uh, sometimes it's just a matter of doing it, making it as easy as possible to do it. I mean, there have been times where I will have my Bible open to the page that I want to read the night before, and I put it on top or near the mug of coffee that I know I'm going to do, so I have to move the Bible out of the way to get to my coffee first. So I don't have to think, oh, where should I read? It's just kind of there, and I'm like forced to just look at the words in front of me. Just make it simple, as, as stupidly simple as possible. It's a fight, really, and it's one worth fighting for. Because we are going to be formed by something. We're always being formed by something. And if it's not the gospel, if it's not God's story of redemption, we will end up malformed. We'll end up misshapen. And all of a sudden, the path of darkness feels a bit more normal. And that's not a good thing. We want that to feel abnormal. We want the path of light to feel normal, as difficult as it is. To become gospel-shaped people, we must get into God's word. 
The second one is um, how we live out those truths. So being a family to each other. We are a family. And how are we living that reality out? Are we embracing that identity? I love that there are more opportunities to hang out with people, especially on just on the WhatsApp group, than I can respond to, that I can even go to. I love that. Let's keep doing that. I think that's a great thing. Now, and I've also been speaking uh, with a lot of you about membership here for Redeemer, and nearly everyone has said they would all like our conversations, like just a random conversations, to go deeper. Small talk and banter, that's great, and let's not, let's not, not do that. Um, we should have fun together. But for our church and where we are, I mean, maybe if you think of like a spectrum of like complete party time and complete like introspective Puritans. Um, so uh, we're, we're not like this. We're more like over here of like kind of enjoying each other and that's great. But we could probably move just a tiny bit, just a little bit every now and then. Not that we have to be completely introspective and, and hate, you know, all good things in our lives. Um, but something where we could talk about where are we in our walk with God this week? What are some things that we've read? Or asking someone else, oh, what have you read in the Bible this week? Or what do you feel like God's teaching you? It's a very benign kind of way to ask another Christian. I don't think we really have a problem with being too serious as a church. We could probably stand to move the needle just a tiny bit. And if it's something that everyone is concerned about and wants to be a part of, probably if you are thinking that, sat next to another person, they're probably thinking the same thing. I wish we had a little bit deeper conversation. So just kind of do it. And if everyone is desiring that, but nobody's really doing it, it just takes you to do it. Maybe we fear kind of being over-enthusiastic, possibly, or we fear kind of being awkward, or we feel a bit of maybe even rejection from a fellow Christian about like, what did I read in the Bible? That's ridiculous. Let's talk about sport or whatever. I don't know, whatever kind of voice that was. But um, <laughs> following, I think, I think that's a bit ridiculous because for all of us, whether we feel it or not, following Jesus is literally... And I mean literally, when I say literally, the most exciting thing that we can be a part of in this world, the most exciting thing we can be a part of. How, how would, why would we not talk about that with someone else who also shares that? Like, like it, it's, a, it's an easy thing to do, and it becomes easier as we do it. We should not downplay it, especially with each other. And maybe also we should not downplay it when we're not feeling super great about it, when we can be honest, being like, you know what, I just have had a really hard time this week. I don't, I haven't read the Bible, I don't really want to. So, number three, being a family to others who aren't part of our church yet, um, and being a family to people who will never be part of our church. A willingness to rearrange our lives for them, not the other way around. Because often the way it goes is, oh, you want to hear about Jesus? Well, come to church. Now, having people come to church, that's great. We love guests being a part of what we're doing, and that's one reason we go through the setup and everything and what we set up at Dulcimer. But how are we, how are you rearranging your lives around others, and not just uh, and not just you, but others who also follow Jesus. How are people experiencing the family of God in action in everyday life? Do you know how insane that is? But most people never experience that. Most people never know what it's like for the community of God to actually live out as a community of God in everyday life. They often think Christians, they mean well, they do a thing on Sunday, and then that's it. But to experience the family of God in action in everyday life is life-changing. We might take it for granted, but for people who don't know Jesus, that's a completely foreign, weird, and amazing thing. So, how can we do this? These are great. Yeah, let's, let's, let's do them. We must live like Jesus, though? Like, we must. There's no other option. How can we do that? How can we even begin to do any of these? I'm not even close on a good day. I think the key to understanding is verses 7 and 8. John says, Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have 
had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command. This truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. So which one is it, John? It's an old command or a new one? I don't get it. I'm not writing you a, a, a new command. The very next verse, but I am writing you a new command. Like, what in the world? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those aren't new commands. They're old commands made new through Jesus. They're made new through Jesus. It's truth is seen in Jesus. And because Jesus is in us, this truth is in us. That's what makes them new. The truth is in Jesus. And Jesus' gift to us is the Holy Spirit. So that means the truth resides in us. It abides in us. It lives in us. This is God's work in us. The Spirit is helping us to obey, shaping our hearts to become more like His. And the darkness is what? It's passing because the light is already shining. In the world, in us, there's sickness, there's death, there's emptiness, loneliness, frustration. We have lack of fulfillment. When bad things happen to good people, all of that darkness is passing. So is our hypocrisy, our lack of love for God, our lack of love for others, our obsession with our own freedom at the expense of community, our obsession for our own freedom at the expense of meaning. That too is passing. The darkness is passing. Living in the truth is a life made in the light. And this light, the true light, is already shining. It's not something we have to look forward to. It's already something that's going on in our lives. So Jesus is at work now, even in this room as we speak, pushing back the darkness of our world and our hearts, pushing back the lies, pushing it all back as his light shines. It's shining in us. Therefore, it's shining in this world. The Holy Spirit, God himself, is living inside of us, taking residence in our hearts so that we can be freed from living in lies, free from the kind of hypocrisy that we don't want to live in, but find it hard to get out of by ourselves, free from living inauthentic lives. Only Jesus can turn us from inauthentic, hypocritical Pharisees to authentic followers in the light. And when he does that, we get to be a part of bringing that light towards others. Because Jesus' gift to us, his light, came at the expense of taking on all the darkness upon himself. Every part of how we've contributed to the darkness of this world, Jesus took it and put it to death. And his body was broken for it. 